What's a big goal that you're working toward? Not this year, not even in three years, which is how I like to work on vision, but let's say in 10 years, where do you want to be? And now I want you to imagine that you're in hand's reach of accomplishing that goal. And somebody who has the power to get you to that next level says you should apply. That's sort of what today's guest, Lori McEwen, experienced. She was in hand's reach of a a goal she'd been working her life to get to and was encouraged to apply for that exact position, and she turned it down. (laughs) It's an interesting story, and we're going to start there with today's conversation. And part of the reason she turned it down is she trusted her gut, which I think is a great skill that a lot of leaders can learn to lean on and develop. And Lori will talk about that as well. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. It's basically like a Fitbit for teachers, helping them be mindful of teacher talk versus student talk. Get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting TeachFX.com forward slash BLBS. If you're waiting for your district to develop you, don't hold your breath. What would you be able to accomplish if you poured jet fuel on your leadership development? Rob, a principal in North Carolina, had this to say about his mastermind experience. I have found myself trying more things because I know that I have the support from other amazing school leaders to help guide me through if I get stuck. Turn your dreams into reality and level up your leadership. Apply to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Well, today I am joined by a friend and colleague, Dr. Lori McEwen, a change agent who helps educators create classrooms and communities of deep and joyful learning. Lori has been a teacher, assistant principal, chief academic officer, and assistant superintendent in urban, suburban, and charter districts. In addition, she's been a researcher, adjunct professor, and serves as vice chair of her local school board. Lori, welcome to the show. Hey, Danny. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So you were asked by an assistant superintendent, or excuse me, you were asked to apply for an assistant superintendent position. Eventually, you became one, but at that time, you said, like, no. (laughs) And I want to start there because uh, a lot of us want to make the jump, whatever that next leadership position was. And there was something in your gut that said it wasn't the right time or the right fit. So why was that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know if you know this too. When I was 17 years old, I decided I wanted to be a superintendent. I don't know that that most kids are sitting in their like high school English class saying that's the job for me. But I was really, it, it was sort of twofold. I had always wanted to be an attorney and like fight for social justice. And but I loved learning and uh, realized I could go into education. Thought about you know being a teacher and then 
saw my superintendent said, well, that's where the power lies. And, and just so you know, I'm a first generation college student, you know, first person in my family to, to go to a four-year college, first person in my family to you know, get a master's and, and a doctorate. Um, and, you know, so the goal was really to, to have this seat of power to make change. And that's where I thought it would rest. I really thought like, oh, it's positional. If I get there, the entire world will change because I sit in that seat. And I held on to that for a long, long time. And uh, at the, the time that you're talking about, I had moved to a new state and I had been consulting for a while while I got my doctorate. And I'd been an assistant principal years before. So now I'm about 40. I have my doctorate. I loved being an assistant principal where I was. And um, when our superintendent left, I think we all thought our assistant superintendent would get the job. And if she had, I think I would have really loved working with him for her. She didn't, politics at play, and she ended up leaving. And so the new superintendent, who had had some really good ideas, asked me if I would apply. And as we met and talked and, and I saw the direction she wanted to go in and the way I felt like maybe I would need to treat people or where we were going, it wasn't sitting right with me for whatever reason. And at the same time, I had bumped into this, this guy who was the executive director of a charter school network. And the district I worked in was like most in my state, about 98% white, middle-class to affluent kind of community. I loved the work I was doing with teachers around teaching and learning, but it wasn't, I don't think we could say that I was working for equity. And so, you know, just wondering where that was going to go and not feeling right about working with or for this person, not knowing if I could be authentic. And then also that tug of, you know, I'll be in a suburb. And I ultimately decided just not to apply. And I still don't know if it was the right decision to not apply and put my hat in the ring, but I just didn't. And I, I will tell you, I cried over that decision. It was the toughest, one of the toughest I've ever made because I'm used to just going to the next step and everything fell in place and, and being lucky and getting the jobs I applied for, not having that sort of crisis of confidence and, and crisis of, of gut kind of thing. And I did. So I didn't apply. And in, in the meantime, I was talking to this executive director of a charter school network that was intentionally diverse, serving black and brown kids and white kids and socioeconomic diversity from four different towns and cities in our very small state uh, of Rhode Island. And so he invited me to come in. He said, come, come visit. It's going to be a recruiting trip. And so yada, 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 we meet, I go in and I remember saying to him, I love this, you know, really, I'm thankful that I spent a day with you, you know, spent all this time observing, et cetera, but I don't know if this place is right for me. He asked why. I said, well, you've got this approach, your middle school, like kids in rows, they came from this no excuses charter movement. And I really loved their mission that all kids are going to college and they were working hard. They had longer school day, longer school year, four weeks of professional development for teachers. So much stuff that I loved. But the ethos, especially in the middle school, um, just didn't feel right to me. I, I believe that kids should be talking more than teachers. And they had like silent hallways. And you're 13. You shouldn't be silent in the hallway. And so they're like, their law and order rules kind of approach didn't jive with me with the social justice where they wanted kids to go. But that was where they thought things came together. Uh, lots of folks there. And so the director, Jeremy, just said, hey, well, if you know, come. And I can't remember, this must've been after I interviewed. <laughs> I mean, I he didn't offer me anything. And the interview was a long full day process. It was awesome. Everybody should do it that way. Um, I started to, uh, when I interviewed people later, principals, et cetera, full day process. But anyway, he said, well, come make it what you want. 
and I got to, and I don't know if you want to stop there, but I can tell you the story of what that led to, which was one of the, the highlights of my career. Yeah, I think that's definitely somewhere to continue following the thread because I, I remember you've told me this before, right? That he said, okay, fine, we'll make it what you want. You know, if it's not 100% the model yet. And I love that trust, right? In, in the vision and what he saw in you that you could bring the school to the next level. So I'm curious if you have any sense of why you think he said that. And then, yeah, tell us about what, what change you made. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I should ask him. I wonder if he even remembers that conversation. We've stayed in touch. I consider him a friend, a colleague, a mentor in some ways. But I don't know that I've ever asked him that. But, but there was something, I guess, that he believed that I knew what was right for kids. And I knew what was right for kids based on years and years of experience. I was, I'm older than him. <laughs> I was older than the majority of way older than the majority of teachers in the building, in the buildings. It was a multi-building network. And I, you know, had done thinking and reading and work on all of this stuff for years and years and years and had rationale behind it. And so I think that was it. And so I came in as the director of academics. So there was a lot of work on curriculum building, you know, kudos to this place at that time. They didn't believe in canned curriculum. Teachers created everything, which became taxing after a while, but it also meant that and there are now, you know, lots of great curriculum materials out there, but this forced people to really use data, ask questions, very data-driven place, what is working for kids, what isn't, let's change if we need to. And so teachers were building from the standards. And so I came in to do a lot of work with that. And at the same time, one of my major roles was to, to lead the, the building of a, not the physical building, the creation of a high school. So this was a feeder school with uh, three elementaries going into what eventually became three middle schools at the time was one that would feed up to a high school. And so, you know, I really have long believed in a mastery approach to learning. It sort of started by talking about standards-based grading. And I think that's where the mastery movement, that was the language that we use, but it's, it's all sort of the same thing. And that's evolved to student-centered and personalized. And we'll talk later about deep and joyful. But this idea that all kids can master their learning if we give them the time, the tools, and, and certain mindset approaches, which are things like retakes and redos, having kids reflect on their learning, no zeros, you know, eliminating this idea of like, like I said last night, actually, I teach a, a master's course and I was teaching online, of course. And I said to this group, there's nothing, there, there's no such thing as a cheatable test. No good test is cheatable. Think about getting your driver's license, right? Think about, you know, authentic assessments that, that people do. Think about a, a hairstylist cutting hair. You're either doing it well or you're not. And, and you can't cheat. There's a multiple choice. Anyway, so those were the mindsets I brought to this. So when we were doing this work around building the high school, I really got into standards-based grading and mastery grading. And because of the way we were we could be really flexible and nimble with change. I remember saying, and this was like spring of the student's eighth grade year. So the students who would be our fr freshman year class were going into eighth grade. They were current seventh graders. And I said to the principal and the team there, I said, oh, you know what? If we have, if we want to build a mastery high school, guess I should have thought about this earlier, but we got to go to mastery here at the middle school to get these kids ready. We got to go to standards-based grading. They're like, what? I'm like, next year. <laughs> so, and let's do it for everybody. It was five through eight middle school. And, you know, I had some skeptics, some folks who really felt like I was, you know, there was a chance that we were uh, decreasing rigor if we went to mastery. 
So you did lots of reading, Gusky, Warmly, et cetera. The traditional public high school district uh, and district next to us, uh, one of the towns at which we served, even though we're competitors, we, we worked together. That superintendent came in and met with, I had established a teacher leader cohort. He met with them. He brought in Tom Gusky and we all went to see him. So we did a lot of work, ripped the Band-Aid off, went to standards-based grading, made a ton of mistakes, but figured it out. And I hired a principal who got to spend a year zero, very fortunate, right? Got to spend a year zero as like the, the building designer, the high school designer, who would then transition into the principalship. Not everybody gets to do that, obviously, which is, you know, we were so lucky to build something from scratch. And he was aligned with this as well, and even more so with uh, sort of project-based learning and stuff. And so that's how the high school opened. Unfortunately, around the time, I think the year it opened, I got recruited to be the chief academic officer in our um, largest district in the state in Providence. And uh, Jeremy, the director, said, oh, yeah, you don't, you don't turn that down. You've got the chance to influence the lives of 24,000 students. Go, you know, via con Dios. And then in Providence, we built up two small mastery-based high schools. And I brought those designers into the, uh, it was called Blackstone Valley Prep, into the BVP high school to hear from kids who said, this has been amazing. I get the chance to redo things. I know what I'm learning, why I'm learning it. And if I haven't learned it, I know what to do to correct and, and relearn. And so it was, it was that, you know, it's more than the grading process you use or the tools that you use. It is that mastery philosophy that like that, okay, not yet. You didn't get a, a, an F or a zero. You got a not yet. And here's why. And go make corrections, go relearn, relearn with me, the teacher, relearn online, relearn with your peers, try it again. And then, and then after you've retried all the pieces, let's put it together so we can be clear that you've mastered, you know, really rigorous skills and content. So Anyway, sorry, long story, but that's that's one of the highlights. To have that experience, I think, is something that most educators uh, don't get to have to build something from scratch that they're passionate about. Yeah, I mean, what a what an opportunity. We did that type of work at uh, Brooks College Prep when I was there. So I'm a, a big believer yeah. in mastery learning. Uh, there was a lot of you know challenges, um, same pushback in terms of rigor and what are we going to do? Like kids don't <laughs> turn things in and like. The good thing is, is like when people are frustrated and questioning like where to go, that just to me should signal to the leader like where more professional development needs to be mm-hmm. uh, shared and developed. And those questions, if you can correctly answer them and and get those seemingly critics and detractors on your side, then it's going to work because the other people are ready to run. So, so cool. You did a charter. You did it at a district level. I would like to ask, since you are an expert in this mastery-based system, you know, if, if a ruckus maker listening wanted to embark on that journey, what would be some of the first steps that, that she should take? Yeah. So I think, you know, first there's, I say it's, it's a mix of the, of the two. Like, I think there's, there's the opportunity to do a lot of reading and thinking. And, and again, like Wormley and Gusky are two of my go-tos. But you don't have to wait for buy-in from everybody, right? You can also start building things along the way. And some of those building blocks are the pieces of a mastery framework. So retakes and redos is one, right? And I think on my website, I have 
you know, or one of my blog posts, I can link it like just a simple retake ticket. And it eliminates all of these. Well, what if they do? What if they don't? And you can get parent signatures, you can get a kid signature, you can do all those things, but try that, you know, because I think everyone fears, oh, if I allow retakes, everybody's going to do it. It's going to be so much more work for me. And that is that those are good questions, right? But try those kinds of things. So you can pilot some of those things with folks. Another really great thing that I came across later, and I'm, you know, so so um, envious of this group for for actually putting this all together. I, I would love to think that they. Um, I wish I'd been on the ground floor with them. This guy named Chad Ostrowski. Uh, he's got a whole team called Teach Better, and he started with something called the Grid Method. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It is so cool as a way to approach mastery. It's this idea that you take a unit or a subunit. And you break it into a grid. So at the bottom grid are like the one level kinds of things. The, the simple building blocks to build up this skill, you know, the, the essential outcomes of a unit. And it may be that kids have to progress through all, say there's four assignments on the bottom grid. They might have to progress through all four, or it might be enough that they do two or three. That's evidence that they can move up. And then they move up to two and then to three. And then the four or five would be beyond mastery. And I've seen teachers do this it takes a lot of organization, obviously, but I've seen it where I've gone into, and this was uh, when I was an assistant principal in North Attleboro, we brought Chad and his group in. I had seen them at um, at the Highlander Institute, does a conference every year, and I had met him there. I said, this is amazing. And I watched this wonderful teacher, her name is Lorena Mott, do this in fourth grade where you can't find the teacher right? Which is great because she's conferencing with a few kids and there's a group of kids who are still on grid level one and they're working together. And then there's a group of kids, you know, maybe separate or apart working on two. And there's a board that says, and I don't think they actually had their names with it. They had some sort of, you know, avatar or something like they could move through the grid to show people where they were. So it also allowed kids who were at two to ask the people who were at five, how'd you get past this? You know, so the kids were going to each other to learn. I'm probably doing a horrible job explaining this and, and Chad might be rolling his eyes like, Laurie, just tell people to come to me. But it's a, uh, you can do it with one unit, you can do it with a subunit and it gives you, it gives teachers a taste of mastery without reframing the whole thing. You know, it shows how you can differentiate. It shows how you don't have to be on stage all the time controlling everything. And you recently have Robin Jackson on whose book, Never Work Harder Than Your Students, I have given to so many teachers and referenced so many times. And the grid method forces you to, to take yourself out and work hard with those small groups and work hard with the pre-planning, uh, but to allow kids to see what they need to do to move forward and allow them to move at their own pace. So I would say taking things slow and using using the grid method, using some of those pieces like retake tickets, reflective exit tickets, and just... Tr- even starting with things like, let's just eliminate zeros, right? No grade lower than a 50 and mandating that kids do better to get to mastery or some first approaches. That's what I'd share. What I like about what you said, you know, whether it's the retakes or the grid method, you know, you, you're emphasizing take small steps, you know, not not do everything all at once. Uh, Which is the opposite of, of what ba- I did at Blackstone Valley Prep when I just ripped off the Band-Aid, by the way. Uh, I didn't want to point that out, but when you said, you know, the whole building five through eight, like we're doing it next year, that's typically not my approach, but good for yeah, you. You tackled no. that. But then, you know, think about the value of it, right? So for the teacher, uh, like you said, never work harder than your 
students, which is uh, Robin's idea, but it's you as facilitator, as guides, because the kids should be uh, doing the most work in uh, uncovering the beauty and the learning from each unit. And then even better than uh, the value for the teacher. But the fact that kids can point, they can articulate their learning and show you like that is an expression that they've, they've figured it out. And so that, that's absolutely wonderful. And um, I think that kind of is a great segue to deep and joyful learning. But we're going to take a, a quick pause here for a message from our sponsors. And when we're, when we're back with Lori, we're going to dig into deep and joyful learning. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. One of the top concerns of educators during COVID is how to boost student engagement in remote and in-person classrooms. TeachFX is combining virtual professional learning with its job-embedded voice technology to give teachers instructional strategies and actionable feedback that increase student engagement online and in-person. To learn more and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right. And we're back with my friend, Lori McEwen. And, you know, we talked about uh, not accepting necessarily the first assistant superintendent position, trusting your gut, being able to make a school exactly what you wanted it. And we really did a deep dive into mastery learning, which was a lot of fun. And now I want to ask you about deep and joyful learning for all kids every day and what that means to you. So thanks, Danny. So, you know, this sort of started, I think I've been using the phrase joyful for a while. Really got into this when I was assistant superintendent in um, in Massachusetts. And it came from, you know, we Massachusetts had a big push around social emotional learning as they should. But it was so difficult for particularly high school teachers to get to wrap their brains around. I think because of the way we've, we've sort of thought of SEL as, morning meeting, or it gets reduced to being nice to kids or teaching kids to be nice to each other, all, all important things. Uh, but that's not what social emotional learning is. And we used um, CASEL and their, their competencies that are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, uh, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. And we did some uh, professional development with our high school teachers and really to show them and that Social emotional learning and rigorous learning, right, are not mutually exclusive. And there are ways, and as a matter of fact, they're inclusive, mutually inclusive, that you need to, you know, we talk about the whole child, but that you need to bring the child into the learning. You need to create safe spaces. You need to teach kids how to work with one another in order for them to really master and transfer this knowledge. And that is not aside from deep learning. And so at the same time, we were, we were using the Hewlett Foundation's Deeper Learning Competencies. And, and whether you look at Hewlett, Fullen, Partnership for 21st Century, 
Wagner's seven essential skills, right? There are all of these ideas about what is necessary for success in the 21st century. Personal success, success as a citizen, success at work. And so as I just sort of thought about these and, and, and looked at all of these different authors and everybody's got their own terminology, but they're really similar. And the, the way I look at it is that there are these three buckets. There's the academic, the interpersonal, and the intrapersonal, right? So building up your, your academic skills are you know, really around mastering core academic content, things like that. That's that you know, critical thinking, complex problem solving, that kind of stuff. Interpersonal communication, collaboration, that social awareness, right? But we know that learning is social. So the better that you and I can communicate with one another, the better we can collaborate. And once we have a great collaboration, we can get to this place of synergy, right? And, and this idea that the room is smarter than any individual in the room. And we can construct meaning and get to that, that higher level of creativity together because we're riffing off each other. And the intrapersonal is that I know myself, I can manage myself, and I know how to um, apply strategies on my own to get to these levels of, of deeper learning. And we do that with things like reflective exit tickets that aren't just exit tickets where we get the data. Did the kids solve the problems correctly? So I can differentiate the next day, which is great and important. But for students to keep track of, I communicated well today. I asked questions when I needed to today. I'm leaving confused or I'm not, and I know what to do about it. So those kinds of things. And I just posit that if you put these three areas together, you develop these three areas you get to deep and joyful learning. And the joyful part is who isn't having fun talking with their peers, creating something, making something, doing something. I love debate and argument. Not everybody does, but you know that you, you've been in classrooms where you just can't stop the kids from talking, sharing ideas in a Socratic seminar or something like that. So what I've done is, and um, I'm building a course for teachers with a with an add-on component for leaders about how to lead cultures of deep and joyful learning that shows some of the strategies, sort of micro strategies for each bucket, and then these super strategies, right? So, you know, one, for example, is accountable talk. And in, in the last few places I've worked, I've, we've brought in and talked about accountable talk. And this came from uh, work with, with English language learners, and we use WIRE's accountable talk stem. But this idea that even kindergarten kids can say, I respectfully disagree with you because, and then they go and they pull out the evidence, which is that academic skill, right? The close reading, et cetera. And then they're building on one another's ideas, pushing back on one another respectfully and coming up to a greater idea than they would have had on their own, right? And so that, that's one strategy that I'll be teaching folks in this course. And it ends with things like these super strategies, right? Like the jigsaw is my all-time strat favorite strategy. I've written about this on my blog post. I think I've shared uh, directions for it. And if not, I have those directions that I can share. Like, And everybody will talk about knowing how to do the jigsaw, but you've got to do it right. And you've got to do it with all of these components. And you do it with accountable talk, building up norms first, Reflective exit tickets, having kids uh, have to bring their best selves into this jigsaw. Nobody gets to sit back. They have to know their own strength and they have to know where they have to grow so that the jigsaw becomes this hum. I mean, this buzz in a classroom of kids creating. And you can do a jigsaws in math, you can do them in science, you can do them in ELA, et cetera. You can do them at any grade level. So, like, 
It's my favorite strategy. I use it all the time. I use it with adults all the time. But if we build in from these three areas of academic, interpersonal, and intrapersonal, put them all together, that's where you see, you know, people talk about engagement and I just go to joyful, deep and joyful because we can engage kids in tasks that aren't really rigorous, right? We could get everybody sort of, but it wouldn't be true cognitive engagement. So it's that point where cognitive engagement is leading to really great outcomes and kids say, I had a great day at school today and here's what I created. Here's what I did. Here's what I learned. It's back to the uh, ownership, the joyful learning, being able to talk about, yeah, what they did and the excitement, the buzz. I mean, the picture that you paint for the Ruckus Maker listening is is really, uh, uh, I can't imagine any school leader saying, I don't want that, right? <laughs> right? So that seems like a lot of fun. So we'll link up your website. Okay. We'll link up a lot of the resources that you talked about on today's show. And if the course is available, we'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. So terrific. Yeah, of course. Before you go, I have to ask the questions yeah. I ask all my guests. And so, Lori, ask me. what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? We learn deeply and joyfully here every single day. And you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your yeah. dream school and what would be your top three priorities? So... You know, I already got to talk about building up a school, but if I were to build um, a school now, it would be a professional development school. And and that would be where, you know, teachers are learning the, the profession and the trade alongside veterans. And so I would have enough staff, therefore, to have a robust peer observation, mentoring approach. I would expect scholarship from our teachers where we're, we're writing or we're posting or we're sharing videos so that we are a learning laboratory and we're sharing what we learn all the time. And so I'd have to have enough staff for time to do that, but teacher peer observation, mentoring, and really honest feedback is so important. So that's what I would have. The second, of course, we'd have this student-centered mastery approach to learning that, that goes without saying, right? And with that comes the third piece, which would be a school where we rethink everything, right? So to truly get to mastery, we might not have age-based cohorts. So, you know, we might have kids who are at different levels and different subject areas and they can be fluid. We'd rethink five days a week. Is that always necessary? Bringing community partners for at least a day a week so teachers could do rich professional development or older kids could go out into the community and have internships. We'd rethink things like teacher certification and what certs mean that people teach what area. Because I think that if you can teach fifth grade, you can probably teach seventh grade. I'm not sure that a cert that goes one through six is different than a cert that is seven through nine, et cetera. Uh, I've got lots of issues with teacher certification. Um, but along those lines, you know, the people I hire, I'd want people who don't see special education as a silo and, you know, so-called regular education as a silo, that um, these are really folks who know all, all sides and facets of all kinds of learners. And the, and that third piece about rethinking everything just means that it would be critically constructed and really thoughtful. Well, Lori, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Uh, I want a ruckus maker to remember that deep and joyful are not mutually exclusive. And if you're a ruckus maker who's a leader, there are ways to go in and help and support your teachers, model things for them, simple strategies. I've had teachers say to me, now that I know what to do, I'll do it all the time. And it's the responsibility of the leaders to make sure people have access to learn 
these new things. So deep and joyful can go together, should go together every single day for every single kid and every single teacher and leader. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.